Go with me to Second Chronicles. It's in the Old Testament. Yes, we're going to go into one of those crazy storybooks, but the story that we're going to look at tonight is going to be very interesting. And if you don't have a Bible, don't worry, because the verses will be showing up right behind me. So um, either way, I definitely want you to follow along with me so you can read and see what's going to happen. So let's go ahead and take a look in Second Chronicles 20. 20, uh, I'm going to start from the first verse, and I do apologize in advance because there's a lot of weird names in the Old Testament, and I will mess them all up tonight, but you will get the story, don't worry, okay? It says, now it happened after this that the Moabites and the Ammonites together with some Meonites came to make war against Jehoshaphat. Then it was reported to Jehoshaphat, a great multitude has come against you from beyond the Dead Sea, out of Aram, Syria, and behold, there there has a son Tamar that is in Gedi. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set himself determinately as his vital need to seek the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. So the people of Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from all cities of Judah to seek the Lord, longing for him with all their hearts. So this um, Jehoshaphat, maybe you've heard of him, maybe you haven't, but he was a king. He was a king um, in Judah. And just the chapter before this chapter, the Bible tells us that he was um, trying to do good. He was trying to follow in the steps of his father and his grandfather. He was trying to do what was right before the Lord. And all of a sudden, the next chapter, it tells us that all his enemies have gathered together and they say, let's crush him, because literally is what's happening here. They're saying, let's all get together and take these people out. So they decided to surround him and come uh, attack him on the same day all together to wipe them out. And I don't know about you, but I've never been in a situation like this, thank God. But I think I can feel or I can understand the fear. I think all of us know fear. All of us know anxiety. All of us know the feeling of my circumstances are closing in on me and I have no idea how I'm going to get out of this. Yes, we may not be in his shoes, but certainly we've been in those shoes. We felt that way. We've been in circumstances where we are looking at our lives and we are absolutely overwhelmed. And I can, I can think that he would be feeling this way because the Bible even tells us he was afraid. It doesn't say, well, he was so cool because he knew everything was going to be okay. He's, it's, it explicitly tells us he was afraid so that I think you and I would know. I love that the Bible is that honest. They're not hiding this away from us. Have you ever found yourself surrounded by problems or things that really made you afraid, that brought you anxiety, that made you scared, that you could see the situation closing in on you and fear creeping in? I have. And I wanted to look at this today because of the way that he dealt with it, because of how God actually brought him through this. Yes, our battle is not like his, but we still have battles, and we still have many battles to go through life. And the wonderful thing is that we are not meant to do them alone. 
We're not meant to do them in our own strength or in our own way. There is a way, and it's in his word, and he teaches us about it. So before we get into it, let's pray. God, we just, we thank you for being here. We thank you that it doesn't matter where we are. We could be in a gym, we can be in a theater, we can be in in a fancy hotel. It doesn't matter. You are there. Your presence is there. And we're so glad that you are, Father. And tonight, all that, that we ask of you, God, is that you would speak into our hearts, that you would speak words that would bring peace to us, that would teach us how to live, God, that would guide our spirits, that would guide our way, God. And I just pray that it would be your words, none of my words, but all of your words tonight, that it would be you over everything, God, that any, the voice that we hear tonight would be your voice, Lord. And we just thank you for tonight. Amen. So I want you to take a look with me at what happens next. Um, in verse number five, it says, Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord, in front of the new courtyard, and said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand. There is no one able to take a stand against you. O our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? They've lived in it and built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if evil comes on us or the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand before this house and before you and we will cry out to you in our distress and, we will he- and you will hear and save us. Now behold the sons of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from the land of Egypt. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us as an inheritance. O our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless against this great multitude which is coming against us. We do not know what to do but our eyes are on you. I absolutely love that. I love how he is praying. I just, it's almost hard to imagine the situation. He calls everybody in. They're all gathered together in a humongous assembly. Everyone from all the cities surrounding, they are coming together. They're going to pray. And so the king stands in front of everyone and he starts to pray and he starts lifting up his voice. And I love that his first reaction is to pray. It's not like, okay, let's get our best fighters. Let's figure this out. No, he goes, we need to pray. We need to bring this before God because I cannot do this. We cannot do this. And I love, I absolutely love the fact that in his prayer, do you notice what he's doing in his prayer? In prayer form, Jehoshaphat is reminding himself of who God is for him. He is beginning to talk to himself and to those that are listening in the assembly. He is, he is saying, God is my father in heaven. It's the first thing he says. Oh, God, our father. He addresses him like that. And then he begins to say, you rule over all the nations. 
Then he continues to say, power and might are in your hand. Nobody can stand against you. And then he says, he is reminding himself that God promised them something. God promised them, if you cry out to me, I'm going to hear and I'm going to save you. And he keeps praying like this. You know what? God already knows all this. Am I right? He knows everything. He already knew all these things. Yes, I know I promised you that. Yes, I know I'm powerful. He didn't need to tell God, oh God, are you not this? Or didn't you say that? This prayer wasn't necessarily, yes, he was praying to God, but I think he wanted everyone to be reminded, and especially himself. Listen, Jehoshaphat, this is the God that we're praying to. This is whom we are addressing today. And I, I absolutely love that. And I v- love the very last part of his prayer. For we are powerless against this great multitude. He is the king of Judah. He probably shouldn't say stuff like that in front of all his people, right? I have no way to help you guys. But I love it. I love the sincerity. I love the honesty. I love that he is humbled before God enough to recognize that he is completely unable to help them and that they need somebody bigger and greater to fight for them. I love that. And I love the fact that he chooses from the beginning not to be drowned by fear. Because I don't know about you, but a, a circumstance like this would probably freak out a lot of us. Am I right? If you know that all the people that hate you have gathered together and I'm coming to your house, what would you do? I'd be crying. I'd be running for the hills. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, that would not be a pleasant thing to be told. I would probably not be too happy. But he is not being crazy. He's not ignoring the circumstance. He is choosing to look to God in the circumstance. And I absolutely love that. I love that we get to see this in the Bible. And let's continue to read what happens. It says that when they are praying, God actually responds. He uses somebody that's standing there to speak through him, and he responds to him in verse 14. It says, Then in the midst of the assembly, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of lots of sons. He was a Levite, okay? He was a Levite. A Levite was one of the singers, somebody that was, you know, in preschool, he was somebody special, yes. Too many names, girls. Okay, so he says, he said, listen carefully, all of you people of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, the Lord says this to you. Be not afraid or dismayed at this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Go down against them tomorrow. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Sis, and you will find them at the end of the river valley in front of the wilderness of Jeruel. You need not fight in this battle. Take your positions, stand, and witness the salvation of the Lord who is with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. 
Jehoshaphat bowed with his face to the ground, and all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping him. The Levites from the sons of the sons of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a very loud voice. So they prayed, they brought it to God, everybody was together, and God brings a response. I love that. Did you know that God answers prayer? It seems like sometimes we don't believe that, right? He speaks back. Yes, he does. Not just in the Bible, but he's still speaking to us. He answers prayer. It's still a thing. It really is. And I love that their response to prayer is worship. Their, their response to God's promise is worship. Immediately, he fell on his face and he started to worship God. They received a promise that God would fight for them. He's telling them that they don't have to be afraid, that the battle isn't theirs, but it's God. And all they have to do is show up. He's telling them, show up, go to the battle, stand in place, and watch me take care of it. Watch me do what I do. And at that very moment, and I think this is super important, because I think usually if God would tell you, I got it, don't worry, great, see ya, you know, and you would walk away and forget it and do something else, which is not a terrible thing, but God is telling them something different here. God is telling them, listen, I got it, but you still have to be there. You still have to show up. You still have to stand in place. There's something that you have to do for this miracle to come to pass. You don't just get to walk away. You have to stand there. You have to stand in place. I love that it says that. I love that it says, take your place. And it's Something so different to stand and watch God work when you know that the victory is coming. When you know that he already has it. That he's promised you to take care of it. But they still had to go down to the battle. They had to face the enemy and watch them come. They had to watch all these people come at them and not do anything. I, I don't know about you, but I think that would be harder. So, <laughs> a little bit, right? Like God tells you to just stand there, don't fight, don't worry, but don't go anywhere. You have to watch them come at you. I'd be a little scared. I'd be very scared, to be honest. I think that would be harder, just being there, watching them come, running from the hills. I'm thinking in my mind something like Braveheart, right? Like, everybody coming at you, and, and you can't do it, anything. God is just telling you to stand. He's telling you not to move. Don't run back to your tent. Don't run for the hills, but don't fight. It seems crazy. It seems illogical. It seems like, what is God doing here? Why would he tell them to be terrified in front of their enemies and just stand there? What is the point? Watch the point. Watch with me. Let's keep reading in verse 20. It says, They got up early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe and trust in the Lord your God, and you will be established or secured. Believe and trust in his prophets and succeed. When he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in their holy 
priestly attire. As they went out before the army and said, Praise and give thanks to the Lord for his mercy and his loving kindness endure forever. So this is what's happening here, okay? They are about to go and take their positions, and they're getting ready to basically face their enemies. They don't know how it's going to play out. And so they decide to put some people in the front line. They're in the line of fire, right? The, the first ones to go, if anything went wrong, would be these folks, okay? So they, it's telling us that it's the priests, the ones who sang before the Lord. So here tonight it would be Lisa and Jen. You know, if we grab them and we put them in the front and we go to battle and we tell them, you girls, you got this. You know, you go ahead, lead us tonight. That, that's basically what happened. They grabbed the singers of the house, put them in the front and said, let's go. And this is the song you're singing, by the way. Keep going. So they're going down to battle and they're singing their song and they're saying, Praise and give thanks to the Lord for his mercy and his loving kindness endures forever. And I love this because it makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> I love that God, for the most part, makes no sense, right? That's what faith is about. But why? Why would he do that? Why would he pick the singers? Why are you singing in the middle of a battlefield? Why are you singing? What is there to sing about? You know why? Because worship and praise was not just a response to God's promise. Worship was the actual weapon they were using against the enemy. Worship was the strategy God was about to use to show them his power. That was it. That was what they, were, they had to do. This was their part in the miracle. This was what they had to do for this miracle to come through. And I think the Bible wants us to see this clearly because it makes a point to specify it. I think God really wants us to see that, yes, the victory belonged to him. He was going to fight the battle. But the human means through which God gives us the victory is through praise and worship. Verse 22 starts like this. When they begin singing and praising. Not before. They were there. They were standing. They were waiting. But when they began to sing. When they began to sing, something started happening. It just something set off in the atmosphere. And it says, the, when they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir and that had come against Judah. So they were struck down in defeat. For the sons of Ammon and Moab, suspecting betrayal, rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, completely destroying them. When they had finished with the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. Do you see what's happening here? These guys came down. God told them, do not fight. Just go. Just sing. And they're standing there singing, probably shaking, you know, what is happening here? Just, I am sure they felt fear. I am sure it was not easy to stand there and watch all these men come at you, 
running, probably with swords. I have no idea what they fight back then. Swords, rocks, I don't know, something. They're coming at you with something, and they can end your life in an instant. And God is just telling you to sing. 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 And when they began to sing, the enemies started crushing each other. They started, they got confused. They didn't know what was happening. So they started, no, you're going to betray me. You're going to betray me. Okay, I'm going to kill you. And they killed each other. And the people of God were just standing there watching it all happen right before their eyes. And they didn't have to do a thing. All they had to do was sing. This is the part that we play. This is my part to play. When I am faced with incredibly difficult circumstances, when I think my situation is hopeless, when I am in fear, when I have anxiety, when everything around me is beyond my control, when I have nothing to do to fix my situation, and I come to God and I pray and I give it to him and he tells me, I have it. I got it. What we do is not just lay back and whatever. No. My part to play is to worship until my miracle happens. I have to worship until God does his part. He's doing his part. He is already doing his part. But see, the issue with many of us is that we pray, we think he has it, and then we just forget it. We, we walk away from the battle. Don't walk away. Don't give up either. Because sometimes we think, I prayed, I gave it to God, things are getting worse. Exactly. Don't you see? They were facing the enemy. It's going to get worse sometimes before it gets better. You've heard that before. And it's true. That's why you've heard it before. They were standing right there in front of the enemy, looking in their faces. It didn't get better immediately. They still had to be there. They got to witness God do something amazing. But when things are getting worse, when things look darker, that is when we are called to worship. And you know what? I believe God does this this way. Because many times during your hard times and your crises or your trials or your problems, what do you focus on? If you're honest, what are you looking at constantly? You're constantly thinking about what's wrong. Am I right? I need to fix this. How is this going to work out? I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm mulling it over. I'm always concentrating on what I don't have. How am I going to fix it? My problem is too big. Over and over and over. But God wants to do something for you. He wants to help you focus on him. And we cannot worship and worry at the same time. It doesn't doesn't work. Worship and worry cannot coexist. They can't happen. A heart that is worshiping cannot be worrying at the same time. You either worship or you worry. You either focus on God or you don't. I love... The part where Jehoshaphat keeps reminding himself how amazing God is and everything that he had done. You know what? I think that he did it because he needed to breathe hope into his own soul. He needed to remind himself 
this, he needed to put his eyes on God so that the victory could come. He needed to do that. This is how God focuses our attention on him. To worship is to focus on him, on who he is and what he has done and what he's going to do for us. And you know what? Also, the enemy cannot stand it when you worship. He can't. If you are worshiping God, the enemy just has to go. He just has to get out. He can't sit there listening to you worship. It doesn't work. He can't because God would be the center of everything and his power and his presence would be filling the atmosphere. He can't just sit there and be like, I love how these ladies are singing tonight. No, it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. When you invite God's presence into your life through worship, the enemy has to get out. He leaves. He has to flee. He cannot be in a life that worships. And that is why he tries to stop you. He doesn't want you to worship. He wants you to be distracted. He wants you to be thinking about something else or somebody else or looking somewhere else. He wants you to be distracted. He would love for you to complain. He loves someone who's always complaining. He loves someone who's always in fear. He loves someone who forgets how great God is. There he can work. But he can't work in a life that's full of worship. I love the fact that verse 20 says, Believe and trust in the Lord your God, and you will be established or secure. I think that he had to say this to his people right before he told them, I'm going to take you all down to a battlefield, and we're just going to sing. He had to be like, listen, you have to believe and trust in God. You have to believe and trust that he's going to do something. Because what we're about to do is going to look crazy just now. It's going to look absolutely insane. But faith, faith calls us sometimes to do crazy things. And it calls us to rely on the one who is greater than ourselves. Worship reminds us who is truly on the throne. And it reminds us who is truly in control, who is truly the one who has power, who has already won the victory. It puts everything into perspective. You don't have to know the whole Bible to worship. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to know much of anything. You just have to believe that the God who made the promise is able to fulfill the promise. You just have to believe that if God said it, he's going to do it. That's all you have to believe. And you just have to remind yourself of that. When I was, I think I was about four years old. And I remember this distinctly because I am so young. But I was about four years old. And I don't know why, but I always had these weird, like, dreams, and I saw stuff in my room, and I was so scared that I would yell out at night, and I would call my mom, right? So now this, this is why I'm paying. My child does the same to me. But anyways, um, I would be in my, in my room in the dark at night, and I, I swear I could see something in the corner of my room, and I, I could promise you that I can still remember that, you know, not that many years later, but still. And I remember calling my mom every night, and this went on for a while, so she got tired of me, obviously. And she came into my room one night and told me, listen, you're going to do something. 
This is what you're going to do. This is how you're going to fix this. You are going to sing the song. Okay. So she taught me a song. It was a, sm a small hymn, very short. And she told me that when I was scared, I just had to sing it. Then when I saw something or I woke up in the middle of the night and I felt afraid, I just had to sing. And the, psalm, the song talked about um, how Jesus, like how there's power in the name of Jesus. It was like very short, but very, a lot of truth in these couple of sentences. And so I remember waking up the next night and I saw whatever was in the corner of my room, right? Or whatever I thought I was seeing that would cause me to be afraid. And so I closed my eyes really, really tight, and I'd start singing over and over and over, and I'd peek still there, okay, still singing, and I would sing, and I would sing, and I would sing, until one time I opened my eyes, and it was gone. I don't know what it was. I'm not telling you that it was, you know, a gremlin. I have no idea. I just saw something, and it made me afraid. I was four years old at the, at the top, you know, and I just remember singing with all of my heart, until it went away. And I, I was four. What did I know about, you know, theology or what God does? I knew nothing. All I had was childlike faith. I believed my mom, and I believed that my mom's God could do this. That was all I believed. She told me to sing this song about God. And when I sing, things happen. That's all I knew. And I believed her, and I did this, and I, nothing ever came back, and I remember sleeping soundly for the rest of my life. You know, I still sleep pretty well, uh, except for my, when my husband snores. But other than that, I can't quiet him with singing. It does not work. I've tried. But anyways, I remember this, and it was the beginning for me, but I forgot this over and over again in my life. You grow up, right? So you lose that childlike faith. Life hits you hard and you forget. And there's times where you're afraid, when you have anxiety, when you have depression, when you're dealing with so much in life that the last thing on your mind is, I'm going to sing. The last thing on my mind when I am angry, when I am tired, when, when I have no idea how God's going to get me through something, it's the last thing on my mind. As a matter of fact, the opposite happens to me. I I be quiet. I stop singing. I stop worshiping. I feel like it's not worth it at the time. I feel like I need to pray harder, which you do. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying stop praying. I'm saying pray, give it to God, and sing, and worship, and, and believe that you have to relinquish control because sometimes we pray, but you know what we're doing? We're telling God how to fix our problem. God, you need to do this, 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 and you need to remove this, this. Stop. Give it to God. Remind yourself of who he is. Pray like Jehoshaphat. You are great. You are my father. You've promised me that when I call you, you are going to come to my rescue. That's what you've said. That's what he said. He's promised that. Pray like that. Give it to him. And then... Fight your battles in worship. Worship until your miracle happens. Worship until the very thing that you think is absolutely impossible in your life happens. You may not have a wonderful voice. That's fine. He doesn't care. You may not know all the songs. 
that's totally fine as well. Make up a song. I don't care. But sing a song about him and what he wants to do for you. That is what he's calling us to do. And maybe you're here and you're thinking, this chick is crazy. This is nuts. I'm not going to sing. I've never sung in my life. Or I sing when I come to church or to things like this. But I don't, you know, I have too many problems for you to be telling me to sing. You know what? I'm not, I would never make light of whatever situation you're going through. I have no idea what you're going through. None whatsoever. But I do know. I do know that the Bible tells us that he will keep in perfect peace those whose mind is stayed on him because they trust in him. I know that. I know that for a fact. I absolutely know that. And I know that when I don't do this, I know that I personally, when I take my eyes off of God and I look everywhere else, I lose my peace. I start to fret. I give way to anxiety over and over again. But he doesn't want that. He's given you the secret. He's saying, focus on me. This is how you fight your battle. And you can see it over and over again in the Bible. It's not just a story in the Old Testament where people did crazy things and the sun stopped and people walked through oceans. It happened all over the Bible, I promise. More in the Old Testament, but all over the Bible as well. You have the walls of Jericho. What they do? They walked around, they sung, boom, they fell. David, all through the Psalms, what did he do? He sang. People were chasing him, he sang. Saul wanted to take his head, he sang. He wrote songs. That was his inspiration. You know what I mean? This is how we do this. This is how we do this. And there's... Even in the New Testament, if you want a New Testament uh, example, Paul and Silas, they were caught doing what they were meant to do. They were meant to be preaching. They delivered a girl and their own, her, she was a slave. They delivered her from a spirit that was tormenting her and his own, her owners got upset. They beat them with rods and threw them into jail. I don't know about you, but I've never been that bad. But they were. They were beaten, locked up. The Bible actually says, I don't know if it's behind me, maybe, but they were, their feet were fastened in a way that was in an agonizing position. I can't even imagine at this point what they were feeling. But it, the Bible is amazing because it says, you know what they did? Verse 25 says, at midnight. So it was dark. They were in pain. They were chained. It must have been disgustingly horrible horrible down there. I'm, this, this wasn't a jail like you would think a jail. This wasn't like a fancy jail. We have fancy jails with, you know, AC and, and nice facilities. No. This was a dungeon, literally. Like under whatever you can think of, and there were so much death and horrendousness around them. And it was dark, and it was the middle of the night, and I'm sure they were in pain. And all of a sudden, what did they do? What did they do? They began praying and singing hymns of praise to God. They started singing. You would think, no, this is the perfect time to start complaining. But no. They said, you know what? 
God is still worthy for me to praise him right here, right now. And that is exactly what I'm going to do. They just get, got together and started singing. And when they started singing again, and everybody was listening, suddenly, that's how God works, suddenly there was an earthquake so powerful that the very foundations of the prison were shaken at once. All the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. Everyone, not just them too, all the prisoners were freed because they started to sing. I don't know about you. I don't know if you think that your circumstance feels like a prison. Maybe you feel like you're in a prison. Maybe you feel like whatever is it that you're going through feels like you are in an agonizing position. Maybe it's hopeless. Maybe you're fighting a fight on the inside. Maybe you're fighting a fight with yourself, with your mind, with your thoughts. Maybe you see no hope for future. Maybe you have no idea how God is going to heal you, how he's going to free you, how he's going to guide you. And it is right then and there that God sees us. And he says it's not over until he says it's over. And what we have to do, it's trust him, believe him, and obey and worship. Choose to worship even when it's hard, even if you're singing with tears streaming down your face, even if you're singing and you don't feel the feelings for the song, do it in faith. Do it in trust. Do it believing that he's moving even when you don't see him moving. Sing. And let the, te- let the words that come out of your mouth be ones that remind you of his greatness and his power. Let them be words that infuse your soul with hope and with power. And we're going to celebrate when the miracle comes, but don't wait to celebrate until then. Sing now. Worship now. Focus on him now. So we're going to actually sing some more. But you know what? Don't just go today and be like, yeah, blah, 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 I'm going to sing. The song that they're going to sing right now is actually a song that I asked them to sing because it kept coming back to me. And it, it talks about how we are no longer slaves to fear. We are children of God. And it talks about how God sings a song over us and he delivers us. He surrounds us. He opens ways. He makes ways for you and for me. And all we have to do is trust and believe and worship. So I'm going to pray, and then we will sing again. God, we just, we thank you. We thank you so much that you love us, that you are for us, God, that you speak to us, God, and And that you remind us that we are not alone, that we don't have to fight the fight by ourselves, that we don't have to struggle, that we don't have to live in fear, that we don't have to think that the battle is for just us to fight. This is your battle. And God, help us. Help us to trust you and to believe. 
and to worship you until our miracles come, to worship you until you do the impossible in our lives, until you free us, until you fight our battles, until you move us into the next season. God, help us to rise up and raise up our voices in trust and in belief, God. And if there's anybody here, God, that doesn't know you yet, that they don't even know how they would even begin to worship you, God. I pray that you would speak to them, that you would speak to them tonight, even through the songs, through the worship, Jesus. Let us not leave this place the same tonight.